From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Wednesday, January 18th. Duchesne County is asking the Bureau of Land Management to build a new oil and gas shipping highway. It would cut through Nine Mile Canyon in the Uinta Basin. Nine Mile Canyon is a world-famous archaeology site with the highest concentration of rock art in the country. KZMU's Emily Arnson reports. Right now, oil tankers drive around the canyon from the Monument Butte oil field to the Union Pacific Railroad facility in Wellington. The new route would shorten the distance between both locations, but opponents of the new highway argue that it won't necessarily reduce the amount of time it would take because the road through the canyon would be windy and slow going. If the new highway is created, the county estimates that one oil tanker would drive through the canyon every three minutes. Lane Miller is a city council member in Price, Utah. He's also been a tour guide in Nine Mile Canyon for over 20 years. He says that people come from all over the world to explore the canyon, and he's worried that more traffic would detract from the experience and potentially cost the county quite a lot of money. Right now, Carbon County's main concern is that they would build this road, spend a lot of money to build the road, and then maintenance of the road would be left up to Carbon County. And the county county has spent in the last five or six years, they spent a lot of money to improve the visitor experience. And it's my belief that oil tankers and tourists just don't mix. The BLM acknowledges the cultural significance of Nine Mile Canyon and has previously called it the world's longest art gallery and an outdoor museum. Miller says the inscriptions on the canyon walls tell stories of travelers and inhabitants going back hundreds of generations. It's one of the few places where you can see prehistoric Fremont rock art, Ute rock art, which is a few hundred years old, You can also see axle grease signatures made by the Teamsters who were driving the horse-drawn wagons. And there are farmers that have lived in the canyon for a long time. So there's a a wealth of history starting over a thousand years ago and running up until just yesterday. It's just a really, really special place. The BLM is now taking public comments on the proposal until February 8th. Comments can be submitted on the BLM's website under the Wells Draw Road Amendment. For KZMU News, I'm Emily Ernson. GOP leadership in the Utah House and Senate opened the 2023 legislative session on Tuesday by highlighting their priorities for the next seven weeks. Sean Higgins with our partners at KUER has more. Senate President Stuart Adams and House Speaker Brad Wilson spoke at length about preserving Utah's water resources, cutting taxes, and increasing teacher salaries. Adams told the Senate that in addition to raising pay, lawmakers should also give parents more choice over their children's education. We must provide the option for parents to use their tax dollars to select the best education for their child, whether it is charter, public, private, or homeschool. A bill to address both issues simultaneously has already been filed in the House. House Minority Whip Representative Jennifer Daly Provost says Democrats share a lot of common priorities, but when it comes to teacher pay, she wishes school vouchers would get its own debate. Personally, I am very disheartened that it has been tied to a voucher bill. It puts legislators who really want to go out of their way to support our education system in a very difficult position. The state's largest teacher union, the Utah Education Association, also opposes the bill, saying they are separate issues and should be treated that way. Sean Higgins, KUER News. This report is from our partners at KUER. Climate change is altering many familiar Western landscapes, 
including the beaches of California. In recent weeks, the state has been inundated with heavy rain as atmospheric rivers from the Pacific Ocean unleash moisture. And within a few decades, there could be flooding in coastal communities, even on dry, sunny days as sea levels rise. How much flooding? Franny Halperin with our partners at H2O Radio finds that so-called king tides offer a worrying preview. We're at the intersection of the Strand and Wisconsin Street in Oceanside, California, and it's quite a spectacle out here. That's Mitch Silverstein with the Surfrider Foundation, an organization dedicated to protecting the world's oceans and beaches. I'm standing with him and about 40 other people, all watching, taking pictures, and some getting soaked as waves fueled by the exceptionally high king tides crash onto the street. So today is day two of the 2022 king tides. It's about a seven foot high tide and there's a bit of swell, not not a lot, but you know, three to four foot waves. The Oceanside Strand is a paved single lane road right up against the shore with massive boulders and a seawall on one side and the patios of expensive homes on the other. There's no beach here, the kind for which Southern California is famous. The shore was long ago robbed of its sand by coastal development. While this sunny day is a festive opportunity for many, for Mitch, it's a chance to raise awareness about the serious threats posed by sea level rise. Oceanside is very afflicted with beach erosion and beach loss, and you don't really have sand on the beaches anymore, and you don't have walkable beaches even at normal high tides. So to see it at a king high tide, this kind of gives us a real good visualization of what high and normal high tide is going to look like with one to two feet of sea level rise. Surfrider has asked its members to video the king tides so they can share them with cities who might be thinking of permitting more development along the shore, explaining that the high water we see today could be every day a few decades from now. Some people might need more convincing than others since California hasn't seen the kind of sea level rise troubles the East Coast has, but climate experts like Patrick Barnard with the USGS say it's coming. On the West Coast, yeah, we've been spared from this. Uh, The prevailing wind conditions in the last several decades are keeping cooler waters along the coast and that's suppressing sea level rise. He says as glaciers and polar ice melt, sea level rise in California will not only catch up, it will likely surpass the global average. Yeah, it will definitely accelerate. Um, There's just so much momentum and heat in the ocean and the atmosphere and you know, we're going to get at least two feet of sea level rise from now to the end of the century as a minimum, and it it could be higher um, depending on our emissions trajectory. Some projections say the ocean could rise six or even seven feet. So how to prepare? Current solutions range from continuously adding sand to beaches to building seawalls and revetments. So, you know, seawalls and revetments are, you know, fairly good at protecting property behind them, but they kill beaches. They tend to accelerate erosion at the foot of them and and remove sand that gets transported offshore and down coast. And we've found in Southern California that as many as two thirds of those beaches are going to lose sand. They're going to run out of sand and they're going to be gone because there's no place for those beaches to to move. If beaches weren't boxed in by buildings, roads, and infrastructure, they would naturally migrate inland and protect the coast from the impacts of sea level rise. But they are literally caught between a rock and a hard place. There's 
been a big push for nature-based solutions now. So living shorelines, you know, vegetated dunes um, to help protect people and property um, from rising seas and storms. And then there's the other end of the, the that spectrum, which is some form of managed retreat, which is a, a very, very bad word in the coastal community. Even though relocating beachfront property inland and installing living shorelines can better absorb wave erosion, not to mention provide habitat for coastal wildlife, attend any public meeting and you'll quickly find talk like that is a non-starter. You know, nobody wants to hear that. It's a very emotional issue, as we can all, I think, empathize with that. How is you as a homeowner, maybe it's your childhood home, how could you face having to to leave that property and leave those, that sense of place and culture? And so it's a big challenge. But in some cases, that's probably the best, the, you know, the best response. Mitch and the Surfrider Foundation say there's still a chance to have sandy beaches, even in Oceanside, if action is taken soon. Long term, these houses are toast. That's how I feel long term. They're going to move sooner or later and the value is going to go down sooner or later because insurance companies are going to stop insuring these homes. Like it's only going to go downhill. So, I mean, look at this street being totally soaked right now. The cities really have two choices, you know, do nothing and wait till it's really an emergency and it's probably going to be even more expensive to deal with this. Or heed the warning of the king tides to save California's coastline now or risk paying a princely sum later. In Oceanside, California, I'm Franny Halperin. And that's the KZMU News for Wednesday, January 18th. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.